guys, and welcome back to episode 059 of The Experience. Pleasure to be here again. Going to dive straight into it today with our guest. This one is a little bit different. It's been a while since we've had an athlete on the pod. This guy's now retired. He's a premiership winning half. He played state of origin. He's done some big things within the rugby league world. He's now retired. He's out of the game, but he's sort of still within the game in the media side of things. And it's an absolute pleasure to have him on the pod to chat today. Ladies and gentlemen, from your car, your home, or wherever you are, give a warm welcome to Mr. Jamie Soward. How are you, brother? I'm good, thanks, mate. I like that intro. It's, <laughs> I, I don't like the athlete part. Uh, obviously, um, yeah, that's, I don't uh, train too well. much like you, but <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's good. It's, uh, I'm in the media at the moment, so uh, I'm still within the game, which is what I really enjoy. And, uh, yeah, we got the chance to catch up on radio a couple of weeks ago uh, with what you're doing. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to be here. Brother, you know what? I'm going to kick this off by, <clears throat> I guess, squashing the beef a little bit. And you probably think, what yeah. are you talking about? Well, mate, in 2010, you broke my heart. Um, <laughs> massive Chook supporter. And I, you know, I thought we were half a chance that year. And you, really, you led the team and blew us away. I think it was 38 to 4 or 38 to 6 or something in that grand final. And it broke my heart. And I kind of held it against you ever since. And then, mm. you know, this year, well, 2020, you reached out. You and, you and your mate Stolze over there at Wave FM on the sideline view. And you guys were an extreme support of me and my journey with 42 for CF. And I thought, this buddy Jamie Sowell's not a bad bloke, is he? <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um... Yeah, thirty-two eight. It was uh, not that I not that I bring it up too much, yeah. but um, yeah, it's it's funny how the world works because I reckon in retirement I've met probably yeah millions of people uh, throughout the industry and, and different things, and um, they've probably always held a bit of a grudge, and that's what you want. You you, you know, like you want uh, those rivalries, and you cheer for your team, and you hate the other team, and stuff like that. But when you get the chance to actually meet them, you can do it two ways. Like you can do it the way that we've done it, and mutually respect each other, and then see how that blossoms into a friendship and how it works and stuff like that. Or you can go in there with a mindset of I'm not going to like this guy no matter what. So I've met so many people that thought, yeah, you, I thought you're a wanker on TV, <laughs> and then I get in, uh, I get you know t- talking to them and and listen and. Yeah, you know, share a bit of my uh, story along the way and people actually say I'm not too bad. So hopefully I'm doing something right. No, definitely. You know what I think it is? My theory behind that is, you know, and you'd obviously comment on this much, you know, with much more expertise than I could. You know, I'm no footy expert. I'm just a fan of the game. But I think you had that style as a player that was really frustrating if you weren't a fan of the Dragons because you chipped away mm-hmm. at teams. You had a great kicking game. You were very clinical. And it's the type of player that, Almost, you know, it's potentially similar to a guy like a Nathan Cleary, would you say now, where it's very clinical. And when you're the opposition, that wears away at you over the course of 80 minutes. And it's hard to watch that when you're not a fan of your team. Yeah, I think Nathan's 50 times the player I ever was. Um, I think that the, the 2010, well, that period at the, at the Dragons with Wayne is, we, we were described as boring attacking-wise. Uh, but within our four walls we were relentless you know we had standards that we had to uphold and if your team's not winning you always find a a reason to hate the teams that are winning so you know when Melbourne were going through that period and and winning games it was like Melbourne just do it clinically and you're like well that's what you aim to do you aim to 
yeah, win games. And if you can do it clinically, then that's your that's your standard. Teams have to beat you. That's why the Roosters have been so good the last couple of years because clinically they've been better than anyone else at winning the big moments. And yeah, for, <clears throat> excuse me for that period at the Dragons, I felt like defensively we were great. Attacking wise. Oh nine, we took a little bit to get into it, but in terms of my personal style and play, I think people yeah, um, didn't didn't respect the little things that went into to winning games, kicking game, you know, placing the ball, all that kind of stuff. Which is which is what I'm trying to bring back to the Dragons this year is is understanding game management because the game right now is so fast that you need to come up with the right kick, not for right now, but for the next 10 minutes. Yeah, that that kick that you do in the seventh minute is going to affect you in the 17th minute because the game is so fast. And that's how I played my game was Wayne was big on doing what you did well and doing your part for the team. So if we had a construction belt and we're building a car and my, my job is to put the steering wheel on the car, if I'm worried about the back right wheel, I'm not doing my job. And that's when things start to fall apart. That's when plan A goes to plan B and plan C. If I just put the steering wheel on and everyone else does their job, then that's how we won. And, and we won games early on. I think the, the second game we played under Wayne, we won 10-6, which was boring as we'd always take the two points. But uh, for us, it was what we wanted to do was win games. And that's what we did. I love everything you said there because there's a few points I wanted to elaborate on and really good to swing off the back of that. You mentioned the pace of the game now. And we'll, we'll chat a little bit later about your role now at the Dragons and, and what you're there to do in 2021. But how do you think you'd fare as a player in today's game? You know, listening to that there, I think you'd be, you know, you, you'd say, oh, yeah, I think you're very modest. You seem to downplay yourself pretty quickly. But in the, the pace of today's game with your kicking game and the skill set that you had, I think you would have been a better player. Or I don't know about better. Player. I don't know about better player. Um, I think that the game would have suited me a lot more today. Um, and that's, you watch the game transform and probably one of the most frustrating things is, you know, the older guys who played and laid the platform for us 30, 40 years ago, the toughest it's ever been, you know, that when they come out and say that, oh, that guy wouldn't handle playing back in my day. Well, it's, no one, you know, you guys wouldn't be able to keep up today. It's just too yeah. fit, too fast, too strong. So I look at the game now and think, you know, being 37 this year, if I was five or six years younger, um, that I would have loved playing with a lot more fatigue in the in the game at the moment. Plus, the the working out of how you game manage is a lost art. Like Thurston, Kamali, like the, I played against some of the best halves to ever play the game. And I used to love sitting down and watching them and how they maneuvered themselves through a game when they'd lost momentum, when they had momentum, all that kind of stuff. So now it's just intensified because of the six again, because of no scrums and everyone's fitter, faster, stronger every year. So um, I would like to think without sort of sounding too big headed, I, I would like to think that the game right now would suit me if I was a lot younger, but um, I'm looking at some of the guys in saying that and I'm thinking Nathan Cleary's 21 and done everything already and so super fit that maybe it may not have suited me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to play. It's hard to say, isn't it? When you're out of the picture, but one yeah, thing that's I, right. you know, we spoke about that 2010 dragons team being very defensive and you guys were, you know, I, I look at the roosters very similarly and, you know, as a roosters fan, I watch all their games and watching last year though, something changed. I don't know if it was, 
I, I don't know if it was decision-making in defence. I don't know whether it was ability or having, you know, some of those key defending players like a Radley and those guys, mm-hmm. those guys on the sideline, I should say. But defensively, we definitely didn't look as strong with the changes in the rules of the game. Do you think the way that players now have to defend has changed because of that fatigue, because of the pace and the way that those, those six again penalties work? Yeah, it's a great point. And I thought last year, you know, the, the Roosters were going for three in a row and um, their, their standards didn't drop at all. Like they were right up into it. If they win that first game against Penrith, I believe they win the competition. Um, they just needed some rest in around that that period because they'd been through so much. So um, I think that the way the six again rule affects them because they'd been so, some teams have been so used to being right. Let's just give away the two. You know, we know we've got the attacking prowess to score 20, 24 points a game, but how do we stay in the contest now that it's six again and we don't concede a try, you know, and that's where I think the NRL will have to tinkle, tinker with the rules a little bit that, if you give two six agains away in one set, you should lose a player for a minute. Yeah, you know, that that's how you start to get you know, more uh, points in the game because at the moment, teams right now in preseason are training their players to defend eighteen tackles, not six, not seven. The old seven tackle rule—that's why I hated it. Like we bought it in at the Dragons, but I hate it now because it's. It's not effective at all. It just takes kicking out of the game and, and imagination and the early kick to the winger and high-flying catch. It. We don't see that anymore because teams are drilled that we can't give away seven tackles. So now if you give that away, plus you have a slow ruck when you get back, it's like 13 tackles. So teams now are trying to adjust to the 18 tackle rule. And I think that last year, along with fatigue, injuries, all that kind of stuff, the Roosters just ran out of petrol. You know, I don't believe that they their play got any worse. I just think that they ran out of petrol. Yeah, I'd agree with that. What's your role this year at the Dragons? Yeah, so I was uh, brought on as a kicking coach uh, slash, yeah, help with the, the game management uh, side of things. So uh, for me, again, you know, I, I get the chance to work with the elite guys, not only the older guys in uh, Ben Hunt and Corey Norman, but the younger guys as well, which is what I really enjoy is seeing that younger guys develop uh, their game and, and work hard at their game to try and get themselves into first grade because I remember myself, I you know was at the Roosters who'd made three grand finals in a row. You know, we'd won the, the Jersey flag uh, undefeated. I come into my first full year of first grade training. It was like, I need someone to help me, just me, you know, like I had Ricky Stewart and Brett Finch, but he's got to worry about the whole squad. So my role is to just go down there, not reinvent the wheel, but just get an understanding of, you know, what kick we need, why we need it, how we need it, what's the score, all that kind of stuff that goes into decision-making into a game and trying to get our decision-making better to finish sets, to be able to keep the momentum, change the momentum uh, or come up with a play. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. I get the chance to work, like I said, uh, with the, the NRL squad and, you know, the, the older guys set the tone and I, I couldn't have been happy with how the older guys have approached my, um, I guess, coming in because as a 200 gamer uh, myself and then coaching Ben and, and Corey, they've both played 200 games, Origins, Australia's, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, it would be easy to come in there and think that you know it all, but those guys have led the way in throwing ideas at me and, and I love that because I get challenged myself. So 
I couldn't be happier that I'm at the Dragons. And, of course, they, the Dragons have always held a, a special spot in my heart because of my time there. Mate, you can see the smile on your face when you talk about it. <laughs> exciting to see. I've got to say, I'm a real fan of, of young Adam Clune. Um, I don't know Adam personally, but I know his two brothers. And they seem like a really good family and really good people. And I thought he'd done really well in the back end of last year. As soon as he got his chance, he, he really held his own. And, you know, he'd, he'd been basically one of the best players from what I hear in that New South Wales Cup League for a long time. Where does his spot look? You know, are you, are you able to comment on what the team looks like this year heading into round one and what sort of lineup you expect to see? I know Benny Hunt was switching in at, in at hooker a little bit there for a while and there have been shifts between the halves in the back end of that season. Any light that you can shed on what the team will look like? Yeah, I've known the, the Clune family uh, in Wagga. Played touch against them. Uh, grew up with their, their old man, Johnny, and, and played... Uh, touch and footy with Sam. So I've you know known those guys for a long time now. Um, the thing I liked about Adam's game last year was uh, I would like to like to see him be more aggressive uh, in his approach you know, to the game. But as a young half, when you've got older guys there, it's easy to always take a back seat and grow into the season. I thought he did that quite well. His kicking game's you know, really, really good. His short kicking game, we're working on some variety there to be able to, to be a little bit more potent. But I thought for a 15-game yeah, season last year, he was outstanding in a team that struggled for attack. So um, we've worked on that uh, attacking structures with Matty Elliott and and the the response we're seeing from the guys is they're really excited. So um, Adam's in that that category as well. In terms of the team, I think that you know, some players and and not players, but everyone gets a fresh start. So there's no there's no spots that are where you come into the club. There's probably one or two, but everyone else just starts with a fresh slate. Uh, and they pick themselves. So being at training, you know, um, and Dragons fans are quick to forget. When a new coach comes in, if you if you wipe the slate clean, you still need some guys there that know how to perform in first grade and know how to to be across that that seniority stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if the if the two senior guys got the nod. And to be fair, they've won that spot fair and square. Like they. Yeah, you know, there's no reputations that are being carried into this dragon side in 2021. That there can't be. So, yeah, um, yeah those two guys look like they probably get the the nod. Um, Adams right there, Jaden Sullivan's right there. You know, those two guys um, will will probably need to play some footy in New South Wales Cup and get that. You know, be pushing, and that's the challenge. I mean, I played reserve grade in my last year in Penrith, like. Reserve grade is not a demotion. It's a chance to work on your skills and, and refine your skills to be ready for first grade. So right, right. Um, as much as as much as much the, the news and the media, and, and I'm in the media, we want to make big deals about you know, guys being dropped. Sometimes I think being dropped can be the best thing for you because you can go back, refine your skills, and it may be just a, a mental side of thing that you need to get right for first grade because first grade is bloody tough. So um, I really enjoyed Adam's year last year. I was so happy to see him play first grade. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to get another chance um, throughout the year if, if those two guys don't perform. I've got to say, obviously, you know, one, one of the nice things about being here in the gong is you see a lot of the boys getting around and you start to see, you know, you see those relationships and the way that the guys get on as a crew and, I love Liam E, mate. I'm at Liam E, the cafe, every bloody yeah. day, twice a day. And, yeah, there's some cool news coming on that soon. But I've been seeing a lot of the boys, massive group of them, sitting down, having a coffee. There looks like really good energy about them. 
And it's exciting to see. It's exciting to see, you know, even as someone who's not a fan of the team, you always want your local side to do relatively well. And especially with a lot of young guys that are coming out of this area, you'd love to see them have a great season and, you know, create a name for themselves in the sport. And it just looks like there's good energy around the crew. Have you felt that pre-season? Yeah, definitely. And like I said, there's an excitement of starting with a fresh slate, fresh ideas, fresh coaches, um, the attention to detail that we're seeing, um, not only from the coaches, but from the players themselves. You know, I go down and do a kicking session for half an hour and then, yeah, I, I leave. And, you know, there's, there's stories coming back of guys sticking around for another 15, 20 minutes when they don't have to, working on their skill. And uh, for me, that that's what you want. You want to be able to instill some stuff and, and have them, you know, work on that kind of stuff alone so that when you work together, you're not starting from scratch all the time. And, you know, one thing Anthony's been big on and he was at Penrith as well is, you know, getting the team together, having coffee clubs. So they have coffee club where they go out, I think it's every uh, Friday, and they go and have, you know, coffee with a different group and, and get to know each other. And, you know, there's no phones, there's not, none of that kind of stuff. So, um, the guys, I think, are, are enjoying having uh, some discipline on the on the field and some some accountability, but also away from the game, knowing that you know, when you step inside the four white lines of of the NRL to play, it's intense. You know, the whole year it's intense. So if we can get that balance as a, as a player, this is any team, where when you step inside the field, it's great, it's intense. We're switched on. But the balance outside of that game, you know, outside and life balance is so important. So um, those guys, it's nice to see it and hear those guys are, are gelling well off the field as well. Now you may be hearing that and wondering, well, once I've identified the right property, what do I do? If it's a house that you've found, it's important you know the ins and outs of the property. A few issues can quickly add up, leaving you well over budget with a ton of work to do. To ensure that's not the case, it's advised that you seek the professional opinion of a building and pest inspector. Greg and Sharon Flood are the owners of Inspect Wollongong. Their job to provide you with a building and pest report, identifying the good and the bad in each property, and giving you the necessary advice to move forward. Keen property investors themselves, Greg and Sharon love helping anyone who's keen to get into the market. And it all begins with a home that will stand the test of time. Get in touch with Inspect Wollongong via the contact details in the show notes. Talk to me about your transition. You know, mm. every athlete you speak to, I think it's extremely difficult. You know, there's been a lot of spotlight with some, some massive sporting personalities around the world, especially in the NFL um, this year that are seeing out their last seasons or ready yeah. to, to walk away from a game they've played for so long. And... You know, it's, it's funny, obviously, in no comparison or, or nowhere near the stage or the size of career that any of these rugby league players or other athletes have had. But, you know, we, we connected through my marathon for cystic fibrosis. And actually, I will say on that quickly, a massive shout out to you because you and your podcast donated very generously to that. So thank you so much. And you were a, a huge support throughout the process as well. But I remember finishing that event and you know for me that was the best day of my life it was a day where mm. I conquered something I didn't know I ever would um, I conquered my condition that I've been born with I had my my best mates and my family around me to see that happen and to be there and to be present with me in that moment and I got to deliver some words that I felt were powerful post-event to you mm. know a hundred odd people 
Mm-hmm. And I sat there after and sort of the day after and reflected on that. And my mate said, how do you feel? And I said, I feel weird because I just don't know how I'm going to replicate that feeling. Mm-hmm. Like what, what have I got to do next to go? Something feels better than that. Or I'm more yeah. excited or more driven towards something. And it, it made me have a real level of empathy for someone like yourself or an athlete leaving the game after a long period of time, because you know, having that adrenaline every week when you run out there in front of a packed stadium, you know, it's, it'd be hard to replicate that. So, you know, talk to me about your feelings and your emotions leaving the game and how you found yourself in the position you are now. Yeah, so um, my time at the, at the Panthers, you know, 2015, um, you know, I was dealing with a divorce. Um, I had three back surgeries and... Yeah, wasn't really sure if I was going to play in 2016. Um, yeah, severe depression, all that kind of stuff. But the thing that was getting me through was going to training and, and trying to play. So that that excitement that you talk about was something that I craved. Um, I met my wife, uh, Maddie, now. And, and, yeah, for me, that's when life really started again. So when I retired and made the decision to retire, I come back from England, uh, woke up one morning and, and just said, that's it. I'm done. And I let out like a huge emotion and, you know, I'm sure you can um, sympathize with this. It was like a huge weight was like gone, you know? And then um, I cried for about an hour. I was like, that's it. Yeah. I did some social media stuff, did a couple of interviews. And then about a week later of just sitting there, it really hit me of like, how am I going to, what am I going to do for money? And how am I going to replicate this feeling of excitement to want to go to training and, and all that kind of stuff? So um, I chilled out for a little bit, but my wife got me a job. Uh, she works at Harvey Norman. She got me a job selling toilets out at uh, Penrith. And for people, when you play in front of 80,000 or you do anything in front of 80,000 and you're one of the centerpiece, it's the best feeling in the world, right? Going and selling a toilet to a 60-year-old is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Uh, when you don't know anything about that. So, you know, I had people come up to me and ask me if I was still playing. How come you're not a trainer? And I'm like, I'm done. I'm retired. So um, that that for me was a real humbling experience. So I, I, I probably took out the reason to try and recreate the feeling of performing in front of a crowd each week and start living life. You know, I, I, I remember telling stories that, you know, I would train, come home, rest, eat, train, play, all that kind of stuff. You know, review, preview, all that kind of stuff. When I retired, I I went for a walk with the dogs. And I was like, I went to sleep. I was like, I don't have to think about who we play next week, how I played this week, if I'm going to be in the team, all that kind of stuff. So I took that reason out to try and recreate and look for things that I wanted to do, that I'd always wanted to do. Go away on the weekend. Have a weekend away where, you know, I haven't had a weekend away for 12 years. Yeah. you know and not being and being able to have yep i had like beers for like a year it was just chilling in, in a pub you know kicking back and talking to people and all that kind of stuff so um once i did that and took away that reason to try and recreate i actually started enjoying life more and for me um i loved my career i thought that i got the best out of myself for where from where i came from and what i went through and all that kind of stuff but i'm so much better person and happier you know since I retired than I ever was playing footy so footy doesn't really the reason to recreate doesn't really define me as a person now 
you know, the happiest person to see me is my two-year-old daughter when I come out from work. She, she doesn't care that I put the dragon stuff on. She's happy when I come home. So that, that for me became life. And I've enjoyed the retirement side of things way more as a person than, than I ever did playing rugby league because you're in that fishbowl and, and you love it. And it was a dream and I, and I don't take it back, but you know, I'm not ungrateful for those opportunities, but right now is, is my game, my end game, you know? So um, I took that reason out to try and recreate and live in the moment a lot more rather than thinking so much. And um, I think that's, that's how I got to where I am. That's why I've been successful in the media and, you know, podcasts and, and NRL stuff and all that kind of stuff and radio shows because people can see that I'm genuine and I live in the moment. Plus I've got the knowledge of, of having been there and done that stuff and, and being through it. And I can relate to a lot of different people on different levels. That's really refreshing to hear. And I think it's an, it's an amazing way to look at anything in life, you know, with the changing of times. And, and I, you know, I think a lot of people are in that transitional period now off the back of a year, like last year, mm. a lot of jobs lost, a lot of hard decisions made a mm. lot of, a lot of the time having to check the ego and understand that when money's not coming in as much as it was before, you have to be a little bit more financially intelligent. Um, but I think it's a great way of looking at things, looking for those little happy moments within the life that you've got and appreciating every moment. Obviously, you touched on you're in the media now. That's a big role in itself. I can imagine a very tiring role at times. Um, but you can see you hold a lot of passion for it because of that love you have for the game. And, you know, you can see that you love the analytical side of the game too and the way that the game works. Mm. Talk to me about how you approach the media though you know there's there's been scrutiny <laughs> for years around the media especially in rugby league and yeah I'm, i know you are too a massive fan of american sport you, i know you love your basketball and you know i love my my american football and my basketball as well i, I really enjoy seeing that sort of like personal side of a player's character come out in the media there the way that they they document the player a little bit more than they document the scrutiny of the game or the little issues within the game. And I think, you know, just hearing you open up then about your time at the back end of Penrith, the three back surgeries, the divorce, the mental health, you know, I feel like if, if the media understood that a little bit more, and I think it's why it's so positive that people like yourself are coming into that space, mm. we'd have a real understanding and appreciate for our players and what they're going through. I don't think people realize how hard it is to get up in the morning and go to work when you're going through all that and maybe understand, mm. oh, maybe that's why he wasn't on his game this week. You know, maybe it's well, not because he... There's people people don't care, time. right? Because, yeah, you know, people, people go nine to five or, you know, six to six or whatever. They want to get away and escape from that. So they see athletes as ungrateful and spoiled and all this kind of stuff. And, and I can see that when a guy goes out and drinks too much and, and um, you know, carries on and is in a fight, that's the kind of thing that, that you know, unfortunately for our game, we don't need and we, we see too often. So uh, my thing with the media is in America, they're treated as their, their sports people are treated as heroes uh, in Australia. We're expected to be role models. It's totally different. You know, there's, yeah. The role model is your family, is your mum and dad uh, or the person that you live with. They create uh, the environment so that you're a product of that environment. Um, you know, too often we hear, you guys are role models, you know, you should be acting better. Well, if I'm a role model, then you're not doing a good job in your home environment because for me, I'm not, I'm not going out there on TV when I kick a ball out in the full and swearing my head off and people going, oh, you swore too much on TV. It's like, 
what? You know, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm a player. I should be looked up to as a, a hero or yeah, supported or whatever else. Role model is here. And then if those two in, engage in some sort of way, then that's, that's great. But the thing that we're seeing in the media is there's a divide. There's always been a divide between player and media. And some guys get it, some guys don't. Chad Townsend's a perfect example, really smart and gets the media. And we've spoken about this countless amount of times is ESPN, all the American, it's like the WWE. It's one big show. It's one big wheel that keeps turning and turning. Everyone understands there's going to be outlandish statements. Everyone understands, but the wheel just keeps turning and they churn money and they make money and everyone gets the, everyone gets their bread, right? In Australia, there's no wheel. Everyone's just going like that, grabbing a piece of the pie. So when a player comes out and says, oh, the media stitched me up this week, you're like, hold on a second. You know, you were out drinking piss. Yeah, you, you were violent or, you know, you said something that you shouldn't have. You got kicked out. That's the media guy doing his job, just like you doing your job. And I want that gap to close because I've been through it. So when a guy says to me, a uh, young kid, like, oh, man, I can't believe they, they stitched that guy up. Well, hold on a second. What did he do to be stitched up? And conversely, in the media side of things, why are we always looking to stitch those guys up? Yeah. Why are we always trying to go out there and go, like, I've been out, I've made mistakes, I've been too loud, you know, I've been in altercations, all that kind of stuff. But why are we looking for that when we can just all get along and get these stories out and, and start the wheel? We don't have a wheel in Australia. Everyone grabs their own piece of the pie. Everyone thinks that, but what everyone forgets is we all need each other to survive. And this yeah. year was more, last year was more evident than ever that we need each other to survive. Players need the media to cover the game with, with all the money that they have, right? Players need the fans, right? The fans need the players because as much as the fans say, we pay your bills and all that kind of stuff, yes, but without the game, you don't, you don't get to escape your sixth or yeah. sixth job, right? To be able to broadcast that and cover it and give the best side of everything, the players need the media. And the more you want to all work together and start a big wheel, until we get to that moment, we're not ever going to all make money. It's just going to be everyone grabbing a piece of the pie. And we, forever, every time we start to go like that, like in an off season, someone just chops us down and we start back there every time. Do you think the game ever gets to a state where, you know, similar to the NFL or the NBA, where, say, a Victor Radley comes out and says, I'm going to crunch Cam Murray next week? I would love that. I would like, love that. But, but me, he would never, ever. So the other side of it is that the coaches will never, ever let that happen. That, and that's <laughs> the, the thing, coaches. isn't it? It's the humility in the game is sometimes, because I, I look at the NRL and, you know, I, I'm a math, like I said, I'm a massive fan of American sport, but I follow a lot of personalities in America. And mm. I just think we've got, there's a little issue here where I get it. Aussies kind of have that humble approach to, mm. to life and, there is that tall poppy syndrome issue where the minute someone speaks out or has an element of confidence, we all like to, to chop them down and kill their dreams and sort of, you know. Well, we're, we're brought up as team over here, team first, team sport. Yeah. Over there, they're brought up as individuals, individuals who play in a team. Like they don't, they don't have Mad Monday. <laughs> they don't no, go for no. a beer. When yeah. they lose as a team, yeah, when we yeah. – when you know, like I think the New Orleans Saints, my team in the NFL, when they lost on the weekend, Drew Brees didn't go and sit in a pub with his last game and drink with the rest of the team. He went home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're on millions and millions of dollars and individualised. Over here, we're a team environment, so you've got to put the team first and all that kind of stuff. But um, some of the most memorable weeks 
uh, were when, for me, were when Wendell Saylor played Adam McDougall and the banter and they got it and they generated. And as, as people, we crave that because we want to, we want to be able to say, man, did you see Dell talking, talking smack about McDougall and not, yeah, I can't wait for the game on the weekend. But they played on opposite wings. Like they were never ever going to tackle each other. But they, they got there, you know. So um, I think that's a long way off, but I would love to see it. Yeah, fingers crossed. Talk to me about this season while we're on this footy topic. Talk to me about what you think the off-season's been like in terms of player signings. You know, what, what squads are looking really good headed into 2021? And who do you think is your smoky for this year? Who's that team that... You know, let's let's remove the dragons from the piece and yep. objectively look at the rest of that, you know, those other fifteen teams. And who do you think really has the ingredients this year to shake things up? Yeah, I think the the sort of the top four, you know, pretty much stays the same. Well, I guess, you know, uh, Roosters, Storm, Panthers, Raiders. I think that'll be the top four. Um, the rest of the teams are chasing those teams. Parramatta have a lot of work to do after last year. A lot of hype. The Titans come into this season with a lot of hype. You know, can they live up to the the expectations that's placed upon that group? Um, yeah, you've got the Dragons there. Everyone that doesn't win, you know, the 15 teams that don't win each year are looking to, to improve and try and get one step better. So um, I think that I, I was a massive believer. I said on my podcast last year that I thought the Melbourne Storm were going to win out of COVID because of their culture and their yeah. culture survived yeah, we're away from home. We're, this is, you know, that, and that sort of snowballs into something. So it'll be interesting to see this year uh, if the NRL go into a bubble and how that culture stuff continues to grow because I thought that the Panthers had a fantastic run uh, into the grand final, but you probably saw some chinks in the armour throughout that final series. You know, there, there was some stuff there that you were like, okay, and then obviously the culture stuff afterwards um, probably wasn't as strong as what we thought. So, um, but yeah, I think that the, the one smoky I, I, that no one talks about, Souths will be there. I think Souths have got a really, really rounded squad now. And if Latrell yeah. can come back and, and be fit, I think that they're going to be up there with that with that top four running bunch. So, you know, if you put Power and, and Souths there, there's only leaves two spots of the eight. And if the Titans improve, uh, that leaves one spot. So, uh, be interesting to see how the season starts. I think the first month, more than ever, you know, usually the first month you can go two and two and uh, you can sort of still make a bit of a run and get yourself into position halfway through the year. But, you know, this year more than ever, I think you need to sort of start at minimum two and two. But you, if you're going to be a contender, you need to start three and one. I don't think you can have a slow start this year. Yeah, I agree. Talk to me about the trade system. How do you think that benefits the game? You know, we've seen the, the huge benefit of Harry Grant at the Tigers last year. Mm. You know, I think a lot of devastation come with that too from Tigers fans, not to see him to run back out in their jersey this year and obviously staying put at Melbourne. How do you see that benefiting the game in the next 10 years? Yeah, the loan system's fantastic. Uh, the English Super League, that's one thing they do really well is loan players out. And I think that for all Tigers fans that are blown up, then you're not blown up at Harry Grant. You're blown up the recruitment that you haven't been able to get someone there through your system in the number nine, which is a problem position for the Tigers for the last since Robbie Farrell retired so yeah. um, I, I love the loan system I love trade talk all that kind of stuff the problem is that our salary cap is a hard cap you know there's there's no room wiggle room you can't take a 
you know, for instance, you can't take a million dollar player and trade him for, you know, two, two $400,000 players and a, because you need that depth, you know, and you've only got 30 players. So um, I think that the trade and, and loan system is something that we continue to talk about. And if we could get it right one day, I think it'd be, you know, perfect. Hey, I really appreciate um, you coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'd love to do this one time again soon. No worries, bro. Next time, uh, yeah, I'll get you on my podcast. We can have a bit of a chat about everything you're doing. I appreciate your time. Legend. Love it. Thanks, bro. bro. Bye. Cheers.